God's story, Josiah. So part of God's story is about a king named Josiah, and it goes like this. Josiah became the king of the Israelites, God's special family, when he was just eight years old. Even though he was a kid, he ruled the whole southern part of the kingdom called Judah. Josiah's dad, King Amon, had gotten into deep trouble and been hated by the people who worked for him. He hadn't followed God at all. In fact, like many kings before him, Amon ignored God and worshipped false gods called idols. All over the land, he built idols and places to worship idols. By the time Josiah became king, most of God's family didn't pay attention to God anymore. But Josiah was different. When he was 16, he started to follow God and look for ways to obey him. Then, four years later, he realized that all the idols were stealing the worship that belonged to God. So he began to get rid of them. A few years after that, he decided to really focus on worshiping God by rebuilding a beautiful temple to the Lord. And that's when something happened that caught Josiah by surprise. It all started when Josiah sent an official who worked for him to the temple to pay the people rebuilding it. While the official was visiting, a priest who worked there told him, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. Josiah couldn't believe the priest discovered a whole book full of God's own words. When Josiah heard the laws, he realized how much he and the Israelite people had been disobeying God. He felt so sorry that he tore his clothes and cried in distress. He knew God had every right to be furious with him. To figure out what to do next, Josiah sent the priest who found the book to talk to a prophet named Huldah. Remember, prophets talk to God, then share what God says. Josiah wanted to know if there was any chance God would forgive them. God told Huldah that the Israelites deserved to be punished for disobeying him over and over and over again. But since Josiah was sorry and wanted to repent, which means turn away from his disobedience and start following God, he could be forgiven. In other words, God had mercy on Josiah. Kids, mercy is forgiving someone even though they don't deserve it. God loves to give us mercy when we repent. When Josiah heard that, he called together a crowd of people, took them to the temple and read them the entire book of the law. Then. He promised to obey the Lord, and because Josiah was king, the people wanted to be like him and obey the Lord too. Now, when Josiah obeyed, he really obeyed. He had every single idol removed. He destroyed every place that had ever been used to worship idols. He collected all the things that had been used in idol worship, in temples and even in people's houses, burned them, and took the ashes far away. Basically, he got rid of every last trace of anything that had ever been used to worship false gods. And because Josiah obeyed God, guess what the Bible says about him? It says, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart and soul and strength. And there has never been a king like him since. This eight-year-old kid was the best king Israel had ever had all because he loved God's words and obeyed them. And that's the story of Josiah. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. Especially excited to have all of our 
uh, young people in the room, kids uh, from Kids Quest, Rock City Ministries, Access. If your kid's walking around, it's all good. It's Family Worship Sunday, so we praise God for, uh, for that, for the opportunity we have to love and instruct our children in, in the ways of the Lord. Amen? <clears throat> While I was eating lunch earlier this week with our staff, uh, somewhere in our conversation, the topic was brought up about iconic artists that heavily influenced our generation. So names like Michael Jackson came up. Names like Lil Bow Wow came up, my generation. Uh, Justin Bieber was brought up, who's been kind of like the icon for like the last 50 years. And then I, I shared how I recently witnessed one of my younger cousins uh, shout like out of joy and then also weep out of joy when she heard the, a live performance of one of Shawn Mendes' songs on live television. But the weird thing was Shawn Mendes wasn't even singing. It was some random kid auditioning for American Idol, so that was kind of weird. But here's the thing. We can all think of figures in our lives that have heavily influenced our generation, whether it was a president or an artist, a spiritual leader, an athlete, or even an activist, figures that may have left a huge impact on our lives. And for our young children today, our younger generation, maybe like four and under, this is the iconic figure for them right now. It's Coco Melon. All right, Coco Melon. So, if, yeah, I know parents, uh, I got young kids too. I know the pain of listening to Coco Melon all throughout the day. And for some strange reason, reason by God's sovereignty, he's allowed Coco Melon to be on the top 10 of Netflix for the last couple of months. But as we prepare to dive into God's word, I want to invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to 2 Chronicles 34. And as presented in the video, we're going to study the story of God using a young king named Josiah to influence his generation like no other king had done in the nation of Judah. And the bottom line for today's sermon is that every generation would be reminded, every generation represented in this room, that in times of darkness... God can use you to shine bright for his glory in the good of others. But before we dive into chapter 34, it's important to understand just the context and what jo Josiah is stepping into as he becomes king. So Josiah is coming from a family lineage of both evil forefathers and good forefathers, but mostly evil. So in chapter 33, we learn that Josiah's grandfather, whose name was King Manasseh, was 12 years old when he became king of Judah, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, despite having a godly father whose name was Hezekiah. So King Manasseh did things like rebuild the high places where often idols were worshipped. And remember, kids, as the video pointed out, an idol is a fake god. And the nation of Israel at this time knew that the one and only true God was Yahweh, the God of the, crea the creator of the heavens and, and all the earth. But King Manasseh wreaked havoc in the land in order to stray the people away from the one true God. So he did things like rebuild the high places for idol worship. He did things like uh, heinous things, like sacrifice his own sons to false god. And he practiced witchcraft and consulted with spiritists and took the lives of the unborn and even sought to remove the word of God during that day. And the list goes on. Pretty much King Manasseh spearheaded an absolute evil movement leading the people away from God. And these 55 years of King Manasseh's reign would be known as one of the darkest periods in the history of Judah. And although Manasseh would later repent and humbly submit himself before God and would work to kind of rid of these evil practices that he had began, he died, and then the nation of Judah uh, raised up his son, King Amen, to become king. 
And Amon pretty much just reinstated all the evil that his father had uh, put in place in Judah. And he was so evil that Amon's own top leaders assassinated him, which ends up leading into chapter 34 where Josiah becomes king. We talk about an utter darkness that is surrounding Josiah and his culture. And in a similar sense, we know that darkness persists today. Like we don't have to look far in our world to see darkness around us. Whether it's the lives of U.S. service members and refugees lost to tragic bombings like in Afghanistan a week ago. Whether it's lives lost to natural disasters like Hurricane Ida or lives negatively, negatively impacted. Whether it's laws that permit, that permit taking away the lives of the unborn. Whether it's the injustices of hate crimes that continue to be an overwhelming issue in our country. Or whether it's local school curriculums that often defy God's word. Like, these are dark, dark times, brothers and sisters. I do want to affirm that. However, the consequences of sin in our world have led to many levels, levels of darkness throughout every generation before us. So times may be bad today, and it may look as if there isn't much hope, as it looked like in the life of Judah during that time. But here's the encouragement we're going to see in today's text. That the Lord has always been a refuge to generations in the past. And he has always used people to stand firm for truth during darkness. And the darkness of this world has never stopped God from advancing his kingdom agenda of drawing people to repentance from sin and into a saving relationship with him. So no generation prior to us has ever been able to rid of the power and presence of God from this world. So take heart, NBC MoCo family. God has not abandoned us. And this is especially true for Josiah as he steps into a world of utter darkness and at a very young age must decide how to navigate through his culture. So we see here in chapter 34 an exemplary response of, from Josiah in response to the Lord and his word during his reign. And I want to point out five truths that we can glean from this chapter and then a few applications uh, as I close. So number one, God works powerfully through people. Can we say that together? God works powerfully through people. In verse 1, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor David. He did not turn aside to the right or the left. So Josiah was only 8 years old when he became king. Is anybody in this room 8 years old or going to be turning 8 years old by the end of this year? Anybody just raise your hand? Would you just stand up real quick? Listen, let's see if we can see. I don't know, some of you guys are on the little side, but there we go. We got an eight-year-old here. My son should be standing up. He's turning eight in November. But now, everybody else in this room, would you trust, sorry, buddy, this eight-year-old or my son as the president of the United States or the governor of Maryland? Absolutely not, right? But I know for kids, you're probably thinking, especially you kids standing, like, this would be awesome. Like, I'll set the rules, like video games all day, unlimited Robux in my Roblox account, all-you-can-eat candy endless screen time, like some of you think being a king would be amazing, right? But this was no easy task for Josiah, kids. Like Josiah was the king of a real nation, not a virtual reality in some Minecraft game. And God uses Josiah in his present reality filled with darkness, not to contribute to the darkness, but to shine bright for the glory of God. So in verse 2, we see that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he followed the ways of his ancestor David, who loved and feared God. And then in verse 3, it says, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor David. 
And in the 12th year, he began to cleanse Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherah poles, the carved images, and the cast images. Kind of how we saw in the video, right? So by the time Josiah turned 16, so first he's 8, now he's 16, he begins to actively seek God. And when he's 20 years old, he began to rid of all the false idols and evil practices that his father Manasseh had reinstated throughout the land. So, well, that his grandfather Manasseh had put in the land and that his father Amon had reinstated. So he cleans house of all that was evil in the Lord's sight. And then when you read verses 7, 4 through 7, and we have an image here for the kids. We'll skip those verses, but pretty much it just shows us how deeply rooted the nation of Judah was in idol worship. So as a teenager, Josiah did everything in his power to rid of the very things that contributed to the darkness and evil surrounding the nation. And then in verse 8, we continue reading, in the 18th year of his reign, in order to cleanse the land and the temple, Josiah sent Shaphan, son of Azalea, along with Messiah, the governor of the city, and the court historian Joah, son of Joahaz, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So when Josiah was 26, as a young adult, he commands the temple of the Lord to be rebuilt. And notice the language here. It says the Lord his God, meaning that all throughout the course of his childhood and his adolescence and now into his young adulthood, he was following the Lord wholeheartedly. And in verse 9 through 13, it, it just really just explains how Josiah grew as an influ, influential leader in his generation. So he appoints a leadership team to uh, handle the logistics of reestablishing uh, the, the God's temple. And they provided oversight, and he led and gave oversight to that team. And students, think, building something great on Minecraft, right? They're rebuilding the temple of the Lord, and this team was committed to rebuilding this temple with excellence. But after years of evil, we see here that Josiah is influencing his generation to do good. So God shines bright through Josiah's life for God's glory and the good of others. But we also see this in our second point. And let's say this together. God's word works powerfully in our hearts. God's word works powerfully in our hearts. Verse 14 says, when they brought out the silver that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hand of Moses. Consequently, Hilkiah told the secretary, Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan took the book to the king and he reported, your servants are doing all that was placed in their hands. So they're doing a good job working on the temple. They have emptied out the silver that was found in the Lord's temple and have given it to the overseers and those doing the work. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, the priest Hilkiah gave me a book and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. And when the king heard these words, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah, the court secretary, Shaphan, and the king's servant, Isaiah. And he said, go and inquire of the Lord for me. And for those remaining in Israel and Judah, concerning the words of the book that was found, for great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our ancestors have not kept this uh, word of the Lord in order to do everything in this book. So family, up until this point, the book of the law is not non-existent. Remember, they didn't have their own copies of the complete Bible like we do today. So this book that they retrieved that was likely hidden for about maybe 55 years at least was likely the book of Deuteronomy or either the entire Pentateuch, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. And it seemed as if, it, according to the text, they only had maybe one copy preserved after King Manasseh sought to uh, remove all of God's ways in the land. So once Hilkiah the high priest finds the book of the law with, with excitement and joy, he insists that Shaphan shares it with King Josiah. 
So in a culture of darkness, for almost six decades, finally a beacon of light, of, a beacon of hope is revealed. God's word is found. And this was like finding a long lost treasure, kids. Rediscovering God's law was one of the greatest highlights of Josiah's reign. So once Josiah hears the words from this book, he tears his clothes in response, right? So we got this image so the kids kind of get an idea, but this isn't like from a Superman comic, all right? So tearing clothes was a public and powerful expression of grief in ancient times. It was an outward sign of true sorrow for sin and genuine repentance of the heart. And it's possible that Josiah heard how he was supposed to lead, and then he realized his failure as king to lead the people faithfully to God. So Josiah knew that he and the nation had been living in sin before the presence of God for decades. Their sin was exposed. God's powerful word convicts his heart. And Josiah's response is immediate repentance. And he realized his failure before God and his need of God's mercy and forgiveness. Which brings us to our next point, number three. God's word requires genuine repentance and obedience. Can we say that together? God's word requires genuine repentance and obedience. Not only does Josiah respond in repentance to the book of the law, but he commits his life to obeying it. He begins by trying to understand the word. So in verse 21, he sends a group of people to talk to a prophet, his name Holder. And kids, prophets were pretty much people who talked to God. God would give them a message, and then they would deliver that message to God's people. So in verse 23 through 26, a prophecy of destruction uh, from the Lord is, is given through Holder. And what Holder shares is that God was going to bring disaster on the nation of Judah because of the generations of unfaithfulness before God um, in, the, in the history of Josiah's family lineage. So at this point, the evil, at this point in time, evil was predominantly handled by God's wrath. And this was how his justice was often brought in the Old Testament times. However, here, instead of God Sending his wrath on the nation of Judah, he responds to Josiah's repentance with grace. Verse 27 says, because your heart was tender, the Lord said to Josiah, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against his inhabitants. And because you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard. This is the Lord's declaration. I will indeed gather you to your ancestors. And you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am bringing on this place and on its inhabitants. Then they reported to the king. So though God's wrath over Judah was sure, by his grace, he would spare Judah of his wrath during Josiah's reign. Why? Because Josiah humbled himself before the Lord and committed to following the word of God. So when Josiah genuinely repented of his sin... God responds with grace, and that grace is what empowered Josiah to live in obedience to God, which brings us to our fourth point. God's word is meant to be shared, not hidden. Let's say that together. God's word is meant to be shared, not hidden. As we read through 2 Chronicles 34, we see a progression here. God's word powerfully draws sinners to repentance, who then by God's grace commit to love and obey God. And however, it doesn't stop there. Grace recipients must be grace givers. So Josiah doesn't just keep this word to himself. He decides to share it. So in verse 29 through 33, he sends for the messengers and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king, Josiah, went up to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the Levites, all the people from the oldest to the youngest, like here, 
And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. If he read Genesis through Deuteronomy or even just Deuteronomy, that's a long worship service, right? And so he had all those present in Jerusalem. Um, Actually, no. Then the king stood at his post, sorry, verse 31, and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry out the words of the covenant written in this book. And in verse 32, he had all those present in Jerusalem and Benjamin agree. So all the inhabitants of Jerusalem carried out the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. So Josiah removed everything that was detestable from all the lands belonging to the Israelites. And he required all who were present in Israel to serve the Lord their God throughout his reign. They did not turn aside from following the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So the same mercy and grace that Josiah received from God, he is now determined to share it with others. And he doesn't fear what the people would think of him or even how they would respond. Like, think about it. For Josiah, this took some serious boldness. Like, it's possible those in the crowd were some of the very people who massacred his father. It's possible that those in the crowd were some of the very people who, were, who had grown up to be evil and ruthless in their generation. But he commits to study and share God's word by publicly reading scripture over the nation and making a covenant for the nation to follow God and keep his commands with all of their hearts and soul. And he calls the people to a national repentance and commitment to God. And the people were required to follow God. And they did so throughout Josiah's reign. As Josiah successfully removed idol worship, he fought to establish faithful worship of the Lord in alignment with God's commands. And he even led a grand Passover celebration in chapter 35 that we won't read about. And it says that he led it in verse 18 like no other king of Judah had ever done before him. But get this, church family, that despite Josiah's influence over his generation, it would be short-lived. By the time Josiah turned 39 years old, he would die in battle. And despite Josiah's obedience to God, the nation went back to disobeying God. Jeremiah 3 speaks of the ways that Judah lived, the nation of Judah lived in persistent adultery because of their love for idols. So Josiah could influence revival for a short season, but not for all of eternity. Ultimately, the people needed a better king, which brings us to our fifth truth. Jesus is the better Josiah. Can we say that together? Jesus is the better Josiah. Jesus is the better king. King Josiah died and his reign ended. Jesus Christ died, and he rose again. Josiah influenced revival for a short time. Jesus renews his followers for all of eternity. Josiah influenced his people to do good temporarily. Jesus changes our hearts forever. Jesus is the better Josiah. He is the king that we are called to pledge our allegiance to. He is the king whose word we must love, whose commands we must obey, and whose gospel we must share. He is the one who is with us always and supplies us with the power and the ability to obey him and shine bright for his glory and for the good of others. So if you're here this morning and you do not know this king, listen closely. The Bible teaches that all of our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things. It states that all of our good deeds outside of a relationship with God are like filthy rags before him. Romans 3 states that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and we are deserving of his wrath just like Judah was. 
We all walk in darkness outside of a relationship with God, but he has made a way through his son, Jesus, who died for the sins of the world and rose again three days later so that those who do not know him can experience the light of life that is found in Christ. So just as Josiah repented and turned to the Lord after hearing God's word, repentance is necessary of us because we all sin before God. And repentance is urgent because we're not guaranteed life tomorrow. And the decision we make now will affect our lives for all of eternity. So in response to the good news of the gospel, we must turn from our sin and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior who has the power to rescue us from our sin and gives us eternal life that begins now and lasts forever, for all of eternity in a world free from the present and current evil and darkness that surrounds us in our world. And for those of us who trust and follow Jesus, God guarantees that those who commit their lives to him, according to Revelation 21, will dwell with God in a place where for all of eternity, sin and darkness will no longer exist. Our future home won't need a sun or a moon to shine on it because the glory of God will illuminate it and Jesus will be its lamp. And we as God's people will walk in its light and experience darkness never again. This is the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has made a way for every single person in this room today to know him as Savior and Lord. And the invitation for you today is to turn from your sin and follow Jesus, the King, we all desperately need. So as we head out today, what can we take away from Josiah's story practically? In a culture filled with darkness around us, it's important to remember this. And here's the first point. We're going to do four. God can use you despite your age. God can use you despite your age. Children and teenagers... Listen, God can use you to shine bright for his glory and the good of others. Don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. From the moment Josiah was a child into his adolescence, into his young adulthood, he was used by God in powerful ways to influence his generation for good. So if God could use a young boy like this to start a revival in a nation, how could he not use you? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 4 as he's encouraging his younger brother in ministry who's about to minister the church in some very, very dark times. He says in verse 12, don't let anyone despise your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And until I come, give your attention to the public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Don't neglect the gift that is in you. Children and students, can you, you can use, God can use you to spread the good news of the gospel in a dark culture. You can stand boldly just like Josiah did, committing to obeying his word and sharing it with others through your words and speech. But also, as far as John 3.18 says, in action and in truth, in the way you care for people, in the way you tangibly love people. And older generations in this room, adults and elderly. Josiah's story is a powerful example that God can use the youngest among us to lead us. So we don't look down on them. At NBC, we are committed to being a multi-generational church, which means we not only love the young, but also accept multi-generational leadership. So older people don't write off the young. Rather, be like a Paul who seeks to encourage and love and affirm and teach and sharpen our young people in Christ, so they can lead in places where God has placed them 
to shine bright for the glory of God in the midst of darkness. So this is why we're committed to developing leaders amongst the next generation. So every week we have teenagers serving across our Sunday teams. We got Felipe who shared his testimony serving every week as our guitarist, if you had a notice. We got Karenna who was up here with her sister Caitlin doing hand motions. Karenna serves all over the place in Kids Quest. Like rock wherever she's needed. Every Sunday she's in a different place wearing different hats just ready to serve as Jesus served us. Man, we got Patrick Powell, who was sitting here uh, at 9 a.m., young high school student who's committed to serving as a tech leader in preschool, faithfully just serving over the years and literally watching him grow up. He's like 6'5 now. Literally watching him be this tall and to this tall now and faithfully serving God through tech. We have Marcos, who's sitting in the back row, who faithfully leads second and third graders, a small group, and has been teaching elementary students for like the last three, four years at a, at a young age. He just graduated high school, and he's a local college student now, and he's committed to staying and being a teacher and leader in elementary in the years to come. So we want to, de- we have the opportunities in our church to invest in and develop our young leaders. But also on that note, young people, I want to encourage you not to write off older people. Like Josiah sought help when he needed it. When he needed to rebuild the the temple and when he needed to understand God's law, like he went and got help from others. So young people, we can learn from the generations that lead us, both from their failures and their successes. So whether you're eight or you're 80 in this room, one person determined to be obedient to God can spark revival in an entire generation. God can use you despite your age. And here's our second takeaway, to love God and obey his word wholeheartedly. God's word is sweeter than honey and more precious than than gold. It's a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path that leads us to the way, the truth, and the life in the midst of our present darkness. So we must read this word. We must study this word. We must love it and obey it. You see, family, the primary ministry of the church is the ministry of the word. So to see a revival take place in the next generation, we must be committed to teach the, ne- the, the word to the next generation. Like this generation has the most access that, it, that any ger- generation has ever had to the Bible. Like part, thanks to the smartphone. But it means absolutely nothing if we don't read it, obey it, and love it. So Moco family, are you abiding in God's word daily? Are you not only just reading it but meditating on it? Is your time in the word leading you to love and obey God more? Are Sunday morning worship gatherings like this or midweek gatherings with your church family a priority? Are you using your spiritual gifts and talents to encourage your church family and do good to those in your communities and your schools and workplaces? Like what is your present involvement in discipling and evangelizing the emerging generation within our church and outside of our church walls? Families. Are you intentionally leading your kids at home in reading God's word and in prayer? Husbands, are you washing your wives in the word of the Lord according to the command in Ephesians 5? And in Ephesians 6, 1, are you modeling Christ-likeness to your kids? I ask these questions to get us thinking, how are we shining as a light in the next generation? Like if we want to see this next generation live in fear of God and love God wholeheartedly, then it must begin with us as a church, but it also must start with us who are older. Let's not make the mistake to cave into the darkness of our culture like like Josiah's forefathers did, but let us shine brightly as Josiah did. And let me just say this, if you need help with any of that, 
learning how to read the word, learning how to pray with your family, learning how to read the word with your wife or in your personal time, how to spend time with God, I just encourage you, if you're struggling, reach out to another mature follower of Jesus or if you're new, go to the Welcome Center, look for one of our leaders on the stage and we will help you grow in that area. Just ask for help and we will be here to help lead you in that way. And here's our third point. We must continually fight sin and run to God. So in a culture filled with darkness, we're constantly tempted to wander and live in in disobedience to God. So we must continually fight against the sin in our lives that seeks to entangle us. This means we fight not in our own strength, but with the strength of the Holy Spirit, and we fight together in community. Like Josiah, we have to rid of anything in our lives that even leaves the option to sin. You see, when Josiah removed the high places... He sought to eradicate every ounce of idol worship so that the people in the land would not return to it. Josiah cleaned house. So I want you to ask yourself today, what are the high places in your life? What are the things that keep you in bondage to sin and from growing in godliness? Perhaps the high places in your life isn't habitual sin, but options you've left open that could lead you back to sin. Like is it an app on your phone that you should delete? Is it a relationship with a toxic person that you need to end? Is it a video game, young people, or even old people that game? Or a show that you're currently streaming that you just need to turn off or give a break to? Like to eliminate sin in your life, we just don't stop sinning. But like Josiah, we destroy the very things in your life that allow you to return to the sin that you most struggle with. And for those of you in this room who, like Josiah, are growing up in families that have a history of generational unfaithfulness to God. I just want to talk to you for a second. In Christ, you can break the cycle of your family family pattern of sin and addiction. You can be different. You can be like Josiah, who despite the difficulty of growing up in an evil family, he didn't allow the sins of his forefathers to dictate who he would be. Rather, he found his identity and purpose in his heavenly father who would never fail him. And I know it's not as easy as it sounds because of the trauma and the pain that some of you have experienced. Like personally in my family, I have a history of absent dads and unfaithful husbands and parental abuse. But I praise God that I found my heavenly father who continues, not I haven't fully healed, but he continues to help me heal from the pains of my past and grow more like him and grow to trust him more. Because you see, church family, God is not the reflection of our earthly father. He is the perfection of our earthly father. Your past may explain the way you are, but it doesn't excuse the way you are. Through the power of Christ in us, we can redeem our family names just as he faithfully did in Josiah. Which leads us to our fourth point. Influence the world around you for Christ. So God commands us to be ministers of the gospel in places we go to the people we see. So children, listen to this. God loves you. You're welcome in his family. Jesus loved the little children and said they would never be a hindrance to his kingdom. So be a good friend. Obey your parents. Learn God's word, love his word, obey it, and God can use you, young children. Teenagers, you guys are the church of today, not the church of tomorrow. You play a meaningful role in the body of Christ. God did not place you in this culture by accident, but on purpose to glorify God and reflect Christ in your society. So use your voice and use your gifts 
and use your smartphones and social media, your social media accounts and your passions to shine bright for his glory and for the good of others. And adults in this room, leverage your influence for the glory of God and for the good of the next generation. What would happen if the emerging generation were led by a people that feared the Lord wholeheartedly? Like what if every parent in this room was committed to faithfully discipling their kids? What if every adult in this room was committed to partnering with parents in the mission of making disciples amongst the next generation and trusting God with the results? Like King Josiah did not have God's complete word at the start of his reign. So how did he learn to be faithful to God? It was very likely that he heard the stories of his, of his uh, great-grandfather Hezekiah or his great-great-grandfather David, stories of men who feared God. So listen, adults in this room, your faithfulness to God in this generation can impact, can make an impact on generations to come. So adults, parents, grandparents, you never know how your love for God will impact the lives of people in the generations that follow. I once heard someone say a revived church is the only hope for a dying world. So God, in the midst of our dying world, Raise up a generation of Josiahs of all ages who love and obey your word and glorify you in all that they do and seek to love others just as you have loved us. So the bottom line for today's sermon is God can use you to shine bright for his glory and the good of others. This past week, the remnants of Hurricane Ida affected many parts of our country my heart goes out to the families who lost their loved ones in their homes. But what impacted my heart even more directly was finding out that one of our family members from NBC MoCo suffering due to one of the Hurricane Ida remnants. So right a mile down the street, there's these apartments called Rock Creek Woods. And maybe you saw in the news that these apartments were severely flooded. And you know, over 150 people had to be displaced from their homes into shelter provided by Red Cross. But one of our families, Tyree and Christian, uh, were Christian, who's a former rock student, he recently graduated high school, at 3 a.m. woke up to his apartment flooding. 3 a.m. Like water waist deep, pouring rapidly into his home. And in complete darkness and with water pressing towards him, he managed to escape safely. And his mother, Tyree, had just left minutes earlier to go to work. But God did this supernatural work in his heart, mother's instinct, where for some reason she turned around before she even got on the exit to go to work, came back, only to find her home destroyed and flooded in water. By God's grace, Tyree and Christian are alive today. But you know what struck me the most from their testimony? How they shine bright as a light for Christ during their darkness. During the tragic flooding, Tyree and Christian devoted their time to helping family members reunite, to seek those who were unaccounted for to interpret for Spanish speakers, even though they know a little bit of Spanish, just to make sure that those Spanish speakers' needs were met. They cared. They took in this elderly woman the past couple days and have just been meeting her needs, driving her to donation centers to get some clothing and free food and just, just caring for this woman, loving her as if they were, she was their own. Like During their trial, God used them to shine bright for the good of others. And since Wednesday, I've seen God use this family powerfully. Their response in the midst of darkness was to glorify God through their good deeds towards others. Even when they absolutely lost everything, they still gave the little they had to help those around them. 
So I close with this thought. Child, teenager, young adults, adults, elderly, will you allow God to use you despite your age? Will you commit to loving and obeying his word? Will you run from sin in your life and run to the Lord? Will you be like a Josiah, Josiah who influences their world for the glory of God and the spread of his gospel? Will you shine bright for the glory of God and the good of others during this present darkness in our world? I want to invite you to pray with me as we close. But I want to invite our students represented in this room, kids who are in Kids Quest, our teenagers, our college students, young adults, I want to invite you to stand. Would you just stand right where you are? Like if you're like 23 and below or something, whatever, I don't know, young adults is held pretty, held pretty loose, but if you're in college and below, would you stand? And I want to invite us as a congregation to just pray over this emerging generation. So the rest of the congregation, I just want you to lift your hands over them. There's nothing magical about lifting your hand. It's just a sign of asking God for his blessing and favor over them. I want to invite you to lift your hands, raise your hands over these college students, high school students, middle school students, elementary, preschool, infants, as we lift them up in prayer. Let me pray for them. God, we just come before you, Lord. And Father, I pray for this emerging generation. God, I pray that you would raise up Josiah's in your universal church. But even here locally at NBC MoCo, we pray for Josiah's who would stand firm in the truth of your word, who would be committed to loving your word and studying it and obeying it. I pray that this generation will lead to a revival, standing boldly for Christ, sharing the truth of his word and witnessing lives go from darkness to light by the power of your spirit. God, I pray for those in this room with histories of family dysfunction. God, I pray that you would be near to their broken hearts and that you would save their crushed spirits. God, I pray that you would be their strength and their refuge in their present time of trouble. God, I pray that you would mend their broken hearts, Lord, and, mend and, and just heal their wounds, God. Would you lead them to not repeat generations of unfaithfulness to you? But God, would you redeem their family name? Would you use them, God, to love their spouses, to love their kids, to love their adopted kids and their foster kids, to love people as you love us? God, I pray for the older generation in this room that is sitting. God, I pray that, that literally that they would stand, Lord, and just be a light in this generation. I pray, Lord, that they would not sit on the bench and be bench warmers, God, but they will be active in fishing for men and women in this young generation so that they can come to know Jesus. God, would you raise up our older generations to love and fear you and to love and minister and pour into and invest into the young. And God, I pray that you will lead us through this darkness that we presently experience, that we will look firm with our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus. The hope we have in you, Lord, knowing, God, that you will one day return for us to take us to be with you. And we will be in your presence for all of eternity, free from every tear, free from every pain, free from every sin we've committed against someone or all sin people have committed against us, free from every trial and tribulation. You promised, Lord Jesus, to bring a new heaven and earth where all things will be made new, where we experience freedom from the evil and darkness and the pains and suffering of this life. 
Help us to look forward to that day with eager anticipation, trusting in you that you are with us every step of the way. And would we not fear physical death because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen.